Hello and welcome. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to episode eight. We are well on our way to transforming a lot of things uh, in my workplace. And I wanted to share some information with you. Um, not only as the conflict chick, but as the director of equity and community initiatives for Nashville, Tennessee. So I work in a space called nonprofit. How many of you have worked for or dealt with a nonprofit organization? So I'm hearing some smiles. I, I know I feel my own as I'm recording this, but sometimes those nonprofit spaces can be quite interesting to navigate. So one of my biggest joys is working with agencies around the city, um, really around the county, and ultimately touching a few um, bordering states, talking about this thing called equity. It's It's a buzzword, and a lot of people really don't know the definition. So let's talk about what equity really is and what it really means and why it is so prevalent in today's conversation. So equity really is affording people, and I'm paraphrasing, but affording people the right amount of tools, access, and support based on their need. So that's a little different from equality because equality, if I give you an example of that, equality is, yes, you can have a box, right? And if we are, are, are um, needing a box for something and it has some goods in it, it may not have everything that everyone needs specified for them. So if we were having a box of tools, for instance, and one family is putting up a, a, a fence, another family is putting on a roof, but the materials inside the box are the exact same, which don't feel either need completely, that's what equality is. It's like, hey, you got a box. But when we talk about equity, it means we provide people with exactly what they need in the amount, right amount, the right dosage the right supports, the right quantities, the right amounts, the same uh, amplified voice, all of those things. And so what we found is that we're not there. Okay. So I'll give you an example. A colleague of mine who works as a diversity officer for the largest uh, school system in Tennessee posted a article that dealt with the underfunding of our historically black colleges and universities in the city that I'm from, which is Nashville, Tennessee. So when we look at Tennessee State University, when we look at Fisk University and we compare that to other state and private institutions around our city, they were being underfunded. Now, what was happening is the other institutions, you'll sometimes hear them called PWI, and that's predominantly white institutions, were receiving the full benefit of being a state school or having some land allocations, etc. But for some reason, for decades, 
Tennessee State University was underfunded. And so what that afforded me the opportunity to do in that moment was say, ah, this impacts everything from enrollment to graduation to tuition payments to programming at this institution. And so it caused me to pause because I think back to my years in high school and Tennessee State University happens to be in the neighborhood I grew up in. It was the first institution that afforded me a scholarship, but it was a partial one, right? Now I was this academic scholar, who's who, uh, in French Five, president of the Business Professionals of America, doing public speaking, forensics champion, all, uh, debate team, track, cheerleading, cross country, an artist. And it was just like, wow, I can go to Tennessee State University, which is a historically black college in my town, basically across the river from where I grew up. And what I found is as the first person in my family to finish college, my mother started, my dad started, my dad even went to Tennessee State on a football scholarship, but flunked out after the first year because he had no money, no resources, no help. My mother ended up changing schools multiple times, trying to raise me, working full time, So this was going to be the first, right? Wrong. Because I could not afford to pay for myself and my family could not afford, they were what we considered working poor. You know, my dad had a good factory job. My mom worked for uh, the telecommunications industry. So we were okay. (laughs) We were what they call the working poor. I couldn't afford it. So I then had to take my talents, my box, so to speak, and walk 30 miles away to a state school where I received a full academic scholarship all four years. So now I'm thinking, what if the funding had been equitable for Tennessee State University? Would I be a graduate of the Tennessee State University Go Big Blue. That hit me this morning. I would have had teachers that embraced my culture. I would have had students who look like me in class. I would have had a totally different experience. I would have been nurtured and, 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 and supported by people who look like me. I would have entered the world with a little more pep in my step. A little more control of my destiny. Because in my PWI, I felt trapped. What I didn't know is that there was a cheating circle until I became a professor. 
Now you may ask, what are you talking about, Dawn? I had no idea as an academically strong student walking in with straight A's, all these accolades, why all of a sudden I now got a C and I hadn't had a C before. I found myself in classrooms with people who I knew were less than smart. I'm going to say it. Making A's on tests and I'm making B's. There was a cheating circle that I was not a part of. So when we talk about equity, equity in education, it also reaches the students. And so in this PWI, there's an entire network of cheaters. So these are and have historically been my more privileged children who have access to resources, either through their own parents or through their own uh, social networks to get copies of the books, to get copies of the tests, to know people from previous years who have had the same teachers and be able to pass things knowing that they are not smarter than the student of color that sits next to them and studies 10 hours for a final exam to squeeze by with a B minus or C. So when I, when I think about equity in education, I really have to pause because this continuum of education has to be addressed. So let me, let, 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 let's go all the way back. I'm like, where does this start? Where are we going? If we look at the educational systems here in America, is education equity? Are students getting what they need, when they need it, delivered in tools, techniques, and the time it takes to master the concepts, the theories? And the answer should be yes, but we know it is not. So what I am doing in my own space I get to live this narrative now. I have a son that has ASD. He's on the autism spectrum disorder continuum. But he's what we call high functioning. But guess what's different about my son? My son is going to be a black male over six foot tall. Over 200 pounds. Because his dad and his brother is. And he's already bigger than them. At his age now. So when I think about equity in education, it starts at home. It starts in pre-K. So we intentionally have to address the systems that prevent kids of all different types access to the things they need to be successful. So I will say this, my son's going to be fine because his mother's an educator and his mother's a fighter, right? His mother also works in equity every day. 
His mother gets to work with the people in her community to build these collaboratives, to have these discussions with other parents who have kids and they don't know what to do, right? Have kids in school systems and some school systems are more supported. So when I get my children who have ASD, autistic spectrum disorder in her college classrooms, that would be me. Those students have had access since my son's age. Those students predominantly are white students. So what happens at an early age from an educational standpoint impacts everything. Every student, every policy, and every institution. So understand, as a voting member of your community, if you're not registered to vote, we need to have that conversation too. But if you are a voting member, you are in essence acting as a parent on behalf of every student at every juncture of this educational continuum. So you are representing my son, who is three years old, who will be college educated and an Elon Musk. But you're also representing little Tom, whose parents may be working every day, making a minimum wage, trying to keep a roof over his or her head, who also needs to be an Elon Musk. So my question today is, what are we prepared to do about educational equity? What things can you bring to the table? Maybe you're good at tutoring. Maybe you're good at um, getting dinners and meeting with people who sit in positions of power in your town. My challenge or call to action for you today is to take action. Go and learn. Google. See what is going on. And realize that you are the ripple in the ocean. You are the wave in the ocean. You can also be the rock in the ocean if you refuse to take action. Let's be water, folks. Have a good day.